Hello, I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Uh, here we are once again for the weekly Companies and Markets podcast. It's week three and it already feels like week 10. There is chaos everywhere on the markets. Um, Today, we're going to talk about uh, a number of uh, recent news events. Um, we're going to talk about retailers um, and uh, how they got on over Christmas. Certainly uh, very much a mixed bag there. Um, the oil price continues to plunge. Um, we're going to talk about that. Mark Robinson is going to be joining us to discuss uh, how the uh, falling oil price is uh, is affecting uh, the companies that uh, operate within that sector. We're going to talk to Stephen Wilmot uh, about a piece that he's written on uh, on news from Capita Registrars that suggests that shareholders, private shareholders, are, are running from the markets in droves. So, uh, yeah, chaos everywhere. Markets have been uh, bouncing around this week. As I said, oil continues to plunge. Um, we've had some crazy news from, uh, from Switzerland. Graham, what on earth is going on? <laughs> That's a good question, John. It's been, it's, it's been fun to watch. I'm, I'm glad I'm not invested in the markets myself at the moment because you know, they're, they're, they're bouncing around all over the place, as you said. We talked about this a bit last week, John. It's just volatile out there. People seem to be, you know, any sort of uh, opportunity to bank some profits and, and sell, and they're, they're leaping on it. Really, I mean, that, you know, the, and and again, the, you know, the Swiss currency move today is is well pretty unprecedented. Really, it's a big move. Um, it looks like that might be the precursor to uh, QE from the ECB next week. So who knows? It's gonna be another volatile week next week, I think, John. Indeed, because there was a so there was a ruling from the European Court of Justice, which was potentially a blocker to to full bone uh, ECB QE, uh, and the ruling's gone gone the way of the ECB. So yeah, they can now get positive. going next week. It, it gives them up. Yeah, it opens the door for it basically and and this sort of the swiss move removing the peg to the euro suggests that they think the euro is going to weaken significantly in the short term um so you know what does that tell us QE yeah. is probably QE's probably coming next week you know it may not happen there's still um big political uh issues certainly in germany the germans have always not been so keen on it and and funny enough we, we there was some news out of germany this week they were slapping each other on the back in germany because they've got a balanced budget so they're sort of uh, as opposed to the thigh. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah, the Germans have balanced, balanced their budget, so that gives them, uh, you know, the moral high ground to encourage budgetary discipline in the in the, in the EU and not necessarily bailing everybody out. Yes, uh, our friend uh, Jens Weidmann. 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 I still can't get my pronunciation. Weidmann. Weidmann. <laughs> um, so I mean, still, I d- sorry. No, no, no. No, I was looking at the euro against the Swiss francs today, and it's down from so 120, which was the peg, to uh, 103. I mean, it's a mm. massive drop in yeah. in a day. It's uh, it's it's huge. But having said that, when I look at a chart going back to 2011, which was just prior to when when this uh, this cap was introduced, it's kind of back where it was. Mm. I mean, the 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 Swiss have been keeping their their currency artificially cheap for a while. Yeah, and also that I mean that's had the effect. So I've I've I took a look at the Swiss market index as well, which is their major market. Down ten percent. Down ten percent, but it's still a lot higher than it was in two thousand and eleven, just before this cap was introduced. So, I mean, you could argue that you know the Swiss market, Swiss companies have been benefiting from this cap for, for some time, hugely artificially. That, hugely and absolutely. And there, there were some quite punchy statements coming out of um, Swiss executives this morning, and and you know, including Swatch. Um, for example, and saying this is a disaster or a tsunami for the market, and uh, yeah, you, you, but you can't help thinking, well, they've they've benefited artificially from this, yeah, for, from for, this currency yeah. manipulation for two years. For <laughs> so, two years. So, 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 so yeah, the fact that it's taken away is just uh, you know. 
the prop. Well, well I, I was just going to make the point that uh, overnight dollar values sort of depreciated on uh, UT, uh, um, US retail figures. Um, this is probably only a, a temporary effect. But the, the, the overriding question is where is the, where are the money flows going to go? From now on, I mean, you know, um, presumably we've had increased U.S. dollar strength, and will that continue? And you have got to look at the um, precious metal prices at the moment, ticking up day on day, week on week. Well, as it, as it happens, I actually uh, are we going to see a gold run? Well, indeed, I actually uh, printed out the gold spot gold chart as well because uh, it struck me as an interesting one I mean, I mean, to the... look at when people are rushing for safe havens. And you know, Switzerland is considered a safe haven, and you know, it's it's what it is reduced its uh, its bank rate from minus point two five to minus point seven five. Fantastic. People are paying to put put money on deposit in Switzerland, which mm. is is insane. But that's just my view. I would I wouldn't pay someone to look after my cash. Depends how much. But then I don't have much well, cash. It, it to depends. You haven't, you haven't got a Swiss bank account. Then, well, then. I don't have a Swiss bank account. That's uh, or a Swiss one even. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no gold. So gold, yeah, gold had a big jump this morning, uh, and it's been rising quite steadily since uh, since it bottomed in November. Well, we say it bottomed as well, but we we've been saying all along that uh, the base price for it seems to be around about the twelve hundred, twelve fifty dollar mark, which is uh, the all in cost. Of- production that, that, exactly what everyone's coming out with and, and even uh, prior to the, uh, the the fall away in 2013 we, we'd sort of pegged that as the rate mm. um so at the moment gold is sort of bumping along but uh if um and i, I don't think this is a given at all but you know um, if u.s sort of economic growth starts to peg back then you'll see more uh, inflows into gold mm. well let's well, let's come back to uh the dollar because uh, you know, you could argue that the, the, perhaps the, the dollar's strength is also related to demand uh, for oil and the oil price. And, you know, yeah. you know, obviously oil is priced in dollars. So, I mean, what's the relationship there? Well, there, there's that inverse correlation, obviously. And we, we've been looking at, we're looking at that in the last few weeks. But, I mean, uh, oil markets at the moment is so depressing for me. I cover this every week and it is very hard to make any sense of what's going on. But I, I come back to this point that I've laboured, the fact that... Uh, uh, the oil price has uh, rarely had anything to do with sort of normal um, supply uh, demand sort of uh, sort of factors in there. At the moment, uh, there's a political element at the moment, but it's having sort of uh, widespread effects. I mean, you know, BP, Statoil, Shell, Premier Tullo, uh, you know, ad infinitum. You know, it just goes on and on. And they they're cutting. Back on capital expenditure. Well, they're cutting back on capital expenditure. Major projects are, uh, are sort of being uh, mothballed at the moment. And it seems to be happening so rapidly. Uh, it, it really re- makes me wonder exactly what the sort of uh, what management are thinking a year from now. What would the oil price be? Uh, will the will the Saudis, let alone other members of OPEC, be you know content with a, an oil price between ranging between the forty to fifty dollar barrel mark? I think not. Mm, well, yeah, I mean, you say, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there is a political component to this, but um, it's well, also it, it is also driven by by the supply well, and demand it, it, equation. It, it's true. The Qatari minister came out the other day and said that uh, daily production is something in the region of about two million barrels a day in excess of what it should be for the equilibrium. So obviously something's going on there. Uh, even even uh, even and shale U.S. shale oil is is obviously the the main factor in this. But they're saying even if that sort of um, falls away slightly in, in the interim, production from the U.S. will continue to rise because of. Uh, 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 
projects that are sort of uh, obviously reaching this sort of midpoint. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to work out exactly when the, the Saudis might sort of blink, as it were. Mm, mm. I mean, there has to, be a, has to be some point when OPEC says, well, we'll peg back from 30 million barrels a day. But they're obviously trying to see some movement in, in the U.S. I mean, it's terribly frustrating looking at it because, I mean, um, I'm not quite sure. It's pure conjecture on my part, but there's a political element to this. But I, I, I can't help but think it, there must be. Well, it's oil. So there, there is always oil. going to be some it's political di- interference somewhere. It's a somewhere dirty business, John. It is, it is. But, I mean, it, you know, in the, in the interim, well, what, what are we saying about, you know, the many oil companies that are, that are listed on the UK markets? I mean, are we, are we telling people to avoid them? Are we, are we sticking through it? Well, I, I, th- I, think you've got, I think you've just got to just bear out the, the current weakness. And, I mean, this is pati- in particular reference to oil service companies. I, I was writing about this today, and... Uh, you know, with obvious exceptions like Petrofac, who have got, uh, you know, sort of internal problems. I mean, a, a company, for instance, uh, like Hunting, uh, which, which we've been very positive on for a long time, they supply um, uh, uh, specialist drilling equipment uh, to the oil service market, particularly in relation to sort of um, uh, horizontal and hydraulic fracturing, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, the growth end of the market. I mean, their, their share prices pulled back about a third over the last year. Uh, hardly disastrous because the, the company is sort of highly cash generative. I mean, it's certainly a business. So with a company like that, we'd say stick with it because fundamentally, world oil production is still rising. More wells are coming on week after week, year after year, month after month, month after month to uh, sort of, you know, contend with the rising sort of industrial demand. So, I mean, you've got to take, like most anything else we say in the IC, you have to take a long-term view on this. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's quite interesting. The the cover feature this week, um, uh, which you will see um, when you you pick the magazine up, is is around um, cognitive bias. Mm. And and actually, one of, one of the cognitive biases we talk about is is uh, recency uh, bias. And, and and what we suggest there is that you you uh, as a you know a, you, your human nature makes you take recent events as a proxy for what's going to happen in the future. Exactly. Um, and so bad news would encourage you to to panic sell. Yeah, um, we're saying try and overcome that bias and, and and stick through this because we think long term there well, are still some value to be found in these sectors because oil is not going away well, and, exactly. the, and the need for it is not going away. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you, you could take the angle if I could call a sort of bottom of the oil price, it, it would be lovely. But I, I don't think this this is going to be an extended sort of drop in the oil price. I think by the end of the year, by the second half of this year, anyway, we, we're certainly going to see oil prices rising back up to a sort of a more sustainable level of eighty dollars, seventy five dollars a barrel, that sort of thing. Okay, big call, uh, Robbo, big but, call. Well, it, it is, and you look at some of these quality providers at the moment, right? And and the yields have obviously shot up. I mean, it might be a case of uh, just have a look at the yields at the moment. And uh, these companies aren't going into business. I mean, you know, there's going to at some point there's going to be a buying opportunity. We know that. But uh, you know, answers on the back of a postcard. Well, you'll be watching. Yeah, of I'll course. make sure you're watching. I mean, um, just from the news page this week. Um, I mean, Graham, uh, you, you've got a little story here on Fenner. And yeah. um, you know, Fenner's had problems because of its exposure to uh, mining. Yes. Now yeah, exactly. it's the problems in oil that, that are affecting it because that was the part of the business that was holding up. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, it's it's warned again this week. Uh, yeah, as you said, it's um its mining exposure was already hurting and now the oil oil uh, oil part of the business is, is hitting it as well. It's so probably not- worth mentioning that one of the tips this week is Smith's group which oh, same, same sort of problem. Same problem. It has been held up by John Crane. It's 
oil services business um, or oil equipment rather, and um, now obviously that 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 business is becoming unstuck. So, mm, mm. Um, we're saying sell on that one. We are saying sell. Yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and incidentally, um, I mean it's probably worth pointing out when we talk about sales, we do we are talking about them on a, on a short term basis rather than long term, as, as we've just talked about in terms of in terms of the way we would recommend you you go about buying shares. Mm. Okay, um, so while we're on the subject of oil, I'm going to turn back to you, Graham, um, because mm. another another um, big big story this week has been the drop in uh, UK inflation to half percent. Yeah, yeah, which oil is a major factor in that. Mm. Yes, inflation halved from the end of November to the end of December. Um, Chris Dillo uh, in this week's magazine took a look at that, and he he pointed out that some people are now forecasting that we will see negative inflation deflation in the UK uh, by the end of this first quarter. Yeah. That would be purely the result of the the oil price drop. Not or? purely, but but I mean, oil price drop is is now feeding into. We saw the first reduction in in gas prices from mm. Eon this week. Uh, utility bills will start to drop oh, off that's as right. well. Three, three and a half percent. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll be switching providers yeah, exactly. So, but the, you know, oil feeds into so many other products as well. Yeah, but the um, the underlying inflation rate was much higher, wasn't it? When I mean, they say underlying like X fuel. I think yeah, it was sort of yeah. more like one one and a half percent. Well, indeed, and I've I've, I've heard people talking this week about uh, you know uh, disinflation and bad deflation, and you know trying to just draw distinctions between the two. Hmm. Bad deflation being the type of deflation we have in Europe, which is basically there is no growth in the economy or there's yeah. negative growth in the economy. We don't have that here. The underlying no. economy is still mm-hmm. doing okay. Yeah. People used to talk about cost push and demand pull inflation and cost push inflation where you know rising costs of pushed up prices being a bad thing and you know if there's a supply um, shortage whatever and and demand pull inflation sort of being a sign of economic health and I think I guess the same thing can be said about falling prices as rising prices there's there's demand led in in, there's demand led deflation which is bad and and supply led deflation where um, actually, it's about supply expanding and therefore the productive capacity of the economy expanding. If prices are falling for that reason, then it can only be a good thing. And clearly, you know, with with the with the deflation being led by um, commodity prices, and most people still think that's a matter of excess supply rather than falling demand. Mm, mm. Then you know, it's it's not it's not so bad. Mm. Indeed, and, and you know, I mean, I think Mark, you've mentioned a number of times that you know, uh, falling. Oil prices actually have an economic uh, effect in terms of actually boosting economic activity, potentially. Well, there's no doubt because, I mean, you see the converse. When when we had a sort of a severe oil price spike, then with about six months, and it seems to be a period of about six months, you get sort of a reduction in economic activity in the domestic economy. So, I mean, conversely, the, the, the... you know the, the reverse is is also true. Indeed. So I, mean, I, I think Simon Thompson sort of mentioned this in a number of his pieces lately. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. There is a, a lot of research out there that says that uh, you you know people talk. You know we're, we're in the sort of information age, the digital age. We're still in the oil age. There's no doubt about it. That that sort of underpins the entire economy. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. So I mean, the, you know, the, the kind of school of there is a school of thought that, that falling oil prices are good news for the UK economy. I mean, and let's stick with the UK because that's that's where we are. Um, good news for the UK economy because it puts more money in people's pockets and they can go out and spend it. So, so were they spending over Christmas? Uh, Graham and Stephen, you can probably uh, comment on this. You've been looking at the retail updates that have been coming through this week, and yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a mixed bag, it has to be said. It's definitely a mixed bag. I mean, Julia. Bradshaw, our retail correspondent, uh, her keyboard's been smoking this week. She's been there. <laughs> She's been writing so much about this. Um, there's been a 
flood of um, of, of trading updates. Um, from the high street, it's been a real mixed bag. They sort of you can split them up. The quality operations have, have, have shone through. People like Ted Baker, mm. good results from them. Yeah, um, lovely, lovely shirt I'm wearing as well. Which nice is shirt, a nice indeed. Bit of Ted. <laughs> and we've got you know, Top Styles, which is not really a Christmas-related stock, but Top Styles is 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 performing well still. Um, it's well managed there, and and they're, they're still growing. And you've got the self-help. Well, top, Tops was a self-help story as well. I mean, yeah. going back a, a couple of years now, yeah, when I back. first did it, yeah, exactly. Forty odd p. Um, you've much. got self-help <laughs> stories like 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 Greg's and Home Retail, um, and then the sigh of relief stories like Supergroup and ASOS, which weren't which were okay. And then you've got the disasters. Um, What's is one my, of which is your favourite disaster <laughs> of the week? Game Digital. Indeed. Good lord. M and S probably more. And M and S, I was going to say as well. Yeah. More obvious one. And Boohoo, of course. Well, we talked about M and S last week. Um, um, in detail. Yeah. Um, because I mean, Ju- Julia had uh, had written a very long piece about M and S a few a few in fact a year or two ago. Um, which seems to be being borne out by every update we get from that company. But game, game digital. I'm not going to let you want to talk about this one, do you, John? Talk about game digital because I could not believe it when that company came back onto the market, having gone bust, exactly. having gone into administration. Um, and you know, I, I, I just thought. I remember thinking at the time they've slapped the word digital on the end, and and somehow I've managed to convince people that this is a different business. Trimmed a few stores. Yeah. It's pretty um, much the same business, just a few less stores. Yeah, but what the, they're doing is the same. There was a scathing piece in the Evening Standard last night. Not wishing to give too much publicity to our publications, but no, Chris Blackhurst in the yeah. Evening Standard wrote a fantastic piece about an experience he'd had in uh, in a game digital. And you know, this business is not a different business. No, it's not a different business. No, and they haven't been able to capitalise on what has been quite a strong period for for consoles, console releases. But they, they've they've had to discount like mad to actually you know you know keep keep volumes uh, of sales coming through and that's that was borne out in the profit warning this I, week I, mean, I, th- I, I suppose the the point there is that there's a difference isn't there between retailing clothes even if it's online the digital disruption there is of a less profound nature than the digital disruption where um you're you're retailing something which actually can be communicated online like hmv obviously went bust because not it, it wasn't just the fact that people are buying DVDs online. It's the fact that they're, they're not buying DVDs at all. They're streaming, mm. and there's a there's a similar issue with with um, gaming. Is you know the, the the way in which people actually game is changing from these console things to um, to you know online yeah. online vehicles. And not not that I'm a gamer myself. Well, indeed, I mean, much I mean, about this. But, well, indeed, I, I mean, but, and the same with music listening, and and you know, so it's really exposed to a lot. Of problems. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to blow my own trumpet because I, when I was the retail writer, I, I sold game. Uh, you know, and it's, I, I must admit, I had a very, I was very bad at selling for a while. Uh, but this one I got right. And, you know, my view was, well, you know, it's game had overexpanded uh, on the basis that, um, you know, gaming had gone into the living room uh, uh, with the introduction of the Nintendo Wii, which was very much a family product. Um, and it, it, it escaped from the, the niche, uh, you know, the teenager's bedroom and into, into the living room. And, and, I think people got a bit carried away with that. And, and that casual audience, as you rightly say, Stephen, has moved away from your PS4s and you know your Xboxes to things you can play on your iPad, things you can play through your Facebook account, you know, your Farmvilles and, and your, your Candy Crushes and whatnot. It's, it's, it's brutal. And mm-hmm. actually, you know, and in all of this, the supermarkets who, who were also responsible in a large part for games downfall through you know, heavy discounting of games and consoles, um, they're still there. 
And, you know, they've been having a Tory time, but they're still there. You know, so, uh, yeah, I was gobsmacked when that came to market and I was not at all surprised when it when it had a heavy profit. No, the, 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 only, the only surprise, I suppose, was that they issued the actual announcements at nine minutes past five oh. on Wednesday evening, which is oh. a age old uh, pure trick, oversight uh, trying, truly <laughs> trying to bury bad news um yeah sorry one more one more big story in retail before we're not cutting this but one more big story in retail um and again it's something which um which you, did not surprise me at all dalton dalton phillips yeah and i know you wanted to mention this as well john it's been a long-term bugbear of yours but yeah he finally left this week did he did, leave he did well did he leave or was he pushed I don't well, know. you know he what, said something about being clear. tapped on the shoulder yeah he yeah. did say that so we can say this uh, we can say that he was tapped on the shoulder his time was up yeah, um, i mean you look look he was appointed five five years ago well end of january yeah, 2010 yeah. the share price was 295p or so Today it's 188, and it's yeah. five years worth. He's bought Kitty Care in that time, which we talked about oh. earlier on, which you know, bought for 70 million. Was it written off? And uh, I think they managed to get three million quid. Three million quid back. Oh, you know, 67 million pounds worth of value destroyed of a very good business, which you know, I, I bought stuff from over the years, mm. and I was just again like, how <laughs> has this happened? Yeah, so um, Dalton, Dalton's finally gone. Indeed, indeed. Uh, you know, and I would like to say, uh, in Dalton's defence, that this has been a very difficult time for uh, for the supermarket industry. Um, but I'm not going to say. That. <laughs> uh, John, I, I don't know the sector at all, but I mean, uh, surely he he. The main problem uh, was the safe the Safeway business. Yeah, well, that and wasn't that, him. That, was, was it? that I mean, wasn't him. So no. I mean, you know, he he was lumbered there. That was a legacy he inherited, but but he was slow to move on was, on 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 store cards and data. Yeah, he was yeah. slow to move on online uh, shopping. He was slow to move on convenience. And yeah, he's they've tried in the past two years. They've thrown money at it. But. Yeah, he, he he actually upset me, uh, which is why I'm not exactly lamenting his departure. He upset me in a in a um, uh, a press meeting one day, and I actually I I foolishly asked the question. Hey Dalton, why why haven't you got a store card? You know, why haven't you got a nectar or a, or a club card? And was was basically roundly dismissed and virtually laughed out the room. And um, hey, guess what? Yeah. They launched one this year. So who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> And we know you have got a you've got a long memory, John. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Okay, so um, yeah, some mixed news there. Um, that brings us on to something that you've written this week, Stephen, which I, I think is uh, incredibly interesting and has garnered quite quite a bit of response from uh, from readers on the website. And that's uh, this this report from Capital, which suggests that um, private shareholders are running scared from the markets at the moment. Yeah, it's a very um, interesting and, and and also a bit mysterious piece of data coming out of Capita and. They look after the shareholder registrar uh, registers of of a lot of um, listed companies, and so they have access to a lot of data. And so you'd think that their data would be quite solid. And it shows that between September and November, private shareholders sold 9.1 billion worth of shares, um, which which is just far more than they've sold in any of any three month period since that they they started running the data mm. in two thousand six. So, so you showed me that graph, yeah, and it looked weird. It, I mean, it, it, do, it does look very weird. I mean, it, it's, it's it's they actually bought in that period in two thousand eight, for example. They actually bought shares, apparently, private investors, which is interesting. Um, you know that 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 was just after the 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 banking crash, and uh, the, yeah, the, it's about it's about twice as they sold twice as many shares in September and November. September through November, according to this survey, than 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 they did in the previous worst period for selling, which was back in two thousand six. 
um, or possibly 2007. I can't, mm, can't mm. quite recall now. But it was, it was the, 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 the figures were really very dramatic. Um, and and uh, I think we should caveat this by saying, I mean, I, I rang around then a lot of stockbrokers to say, well, what's going on here? Um, have well, you, you seen, sort of, have you, you, you execution only. Yeah, execution pro- pro- only, pro- precisely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The kind of people who would have been seeing this trend if, if it had been yeah, yeah. Um, substantial. So, I, you know, Hargreaves Lansdowne said they couldn't see any ev- ev- evidence of it. The share centres, likewise, so Mark, um, Charles Standard Direct, um, couldn't find any evidence of for it so i mean obviously they have an interest in um not panicking people so we need to take what stock brokers say with a pinch of salt and capita has no interest in this market whatsoever so you'd think it would be pretty and this you know this data goes back you know nearly 10 years now so anyway it, it's it's it, it's a bit worrying if it's true uh and you know I, I think with data you always want to see more than one indicator um but at the same time, we shouldn't just ignore this piece of data just because it doesn't fit with what we're seeing elsewhere. Um, I mean, if it's true, it's just that private investors are actually quite prescient in terms of the um, the problems of, of uh, well, in terms of the falling oil price, for example. Um, also, because they've, I mean, they've been selling out of AIM oil shares for quite some time, I mean, you know. Yeah, what, what of course, this doesn't show is, is exactly what they've been selling. Um, mm, mm. But we do know that AIM... Yes, resources shares have been have been sold off for quite some time. Yeah, in fact, they fell forty seven percent this last year. I I, I learned um, at mm. a briefing this morning, and so. that was in advi- That was well before we started to see this significant weakness in the oil price. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I I, I do think you know we had a discussion. Private investors used to have this reputation for um, for for being sheep in the market, effectively, and, mm. and you know, fund managers like to say you know active management works because you know they know a bit that they, they have better research teams and therefore they can kind of effectively sell their weak stocks to so the, the, the kind uh, of the last fool it, it, exactly yeah. um, I, I think uh, this again comes back I to, just don't think it's true these days well this comes back to volumes as well because I mean uh, you would expect if there was a sell-off on that range of price if that was extended across the entire market you would expect to see a commensurate fall in, in share prices well exactly yeah. and while share prices have obviously fallen uh, it's not to the the same extent no. uh, because obviously uh, private shareholders represent a much smaller um, percentage of the market and eleven uh, percent, you say? Yeah, eleven percent. Although we don't know for sure because the statistics are very hard to get hold of. Yeah, I mean the, the ONS does have figures for that, and it it, it does try and go through uh, nominee accounts to work out what what what, what um, mm. you know who are private individuals and who are institutions. So yeah, I mean, it, but obviously that that kind of exercise is subject to. Execution I mean, risk, I mean it, it could be an interesting indicator there, but I mean, you know, the, the institutions obviously hold on for the mandates for, for no other reason. So, but I mean, but what's odd? I mean, it's it's really very much against the consensus. I mean, um, okay, what? Well, we should say that the consensus, um, you know, isn't particularly perhaps meaningful. Um, you know, Chris Dillo starts his the cover feature this week by saying. All of the pundits' forecasts, New Year forecasts, are nonsense, which well, I, true. which is true. So, so let's not <laughs> give too much weight. Let's <laughs> give not much, too much weight to consensus forecasts and econo- economists' kind of uh, New Year cheer. But, how but many, how know, many, it's how very many... anti-consensual to be selling shares at the moment. Just like, over a year ago, there were many, many people, many fund managers, many analysts predicting that the FTSE would end 2014 well over 7,000, and it mm-hmm. got nowhere near it. Mm. And no one was um, forecasting the collapse in the oil price. No 
everyone's forcing the capital price. Everyone was predicting that interest rates would would be on the on the way up or have have risen already. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. You know, yeah. <laughs> as we t- that's that's actually going as you as you thank you for introducing reintroducing the cover feature. It is about the inherent unknowability of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so we take the indicators where we can get them, and and should we be paying attention to this this view from Capita that private investors are. We should. I mean, we should definitely scared. be aware that this is, um, you know, this statistic is out there, and and um, you know, what could it mean? I mean, I don't. I, mean, I, I can't you have, take it in isolation. Yeah, sure. exactly. I think you have to square that up against volumes as well. Yeah. Because I mean, that, you, you see the volatility in the share price, but you know, link that to volumes, and mm-hmm. you know. well, Capita thought that volumes went through the roof as well, but that has. I mean, stockbrokers are saying actually volumes were quite disappointing. Yeah, it's, um, it's bizarre. In, in it's the, really in the bizarre. autumn. So one, one thing we do know, and and Graham uh, alluded to this earlier on in the. Uh, the, the podcast was, was that um, many people were suggesting that increased volatility would would be the order of 2015, and we were going to see more of these sudden spikes, um, as we have over the last week. I mean, the, the FTSE was down. What was it yesterday, Graham? Two two and a half percent, two point two point seven five at one point. I wow. think it ended up about two. And I you know, this, this morning it was up one percent at eight uh, eight thirty, and then down below, you know, in negative territory again by half past nine. And so, so I think I think from that, I mean, what can, what can you conclude from from such wild swings? Is mm. that you know, there's got to be there's a bit of fear out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Focus on the long. Uh, it, it could ref- <laughs> you know it could naturally reflect imbalances in the real economy. I think there are certainly imbalances in in the real economy. I mean. What is the real economy, Robbo? We're getting well, we're, 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 <laughs> don't talk in there. Yeah. Getting, getting a bit matrix about this. Yeah. Here. Um, I mean, you know, when you see things like we've seen in Switzerland today, and you know the fact that, as we've talked about several times over the past few weeks, that good news is bad news, bad news is good news. I mean, you know, we we are in we're in Alice in Wonderland territory at the moment. In, the in, in which case, you just have to go back to the fundamentals and say, actually. Equities are a decent long-term bet because they're yielding three to four percent in the UK. And UK equities are not overly expensive. They're not over, they're not overly expensive. US okay, equities are a little bit more expensive. Yeah, US equities are very expensive. Um, but you know, you, you just have to go back and say, okay, well, it's we can't anticipate this very volatile news flow. We can't know what's going to happen to the oil price. Um, so just take a you know, well-diversified well, basket of. Of, of stocks. We'll draw a line between A and C and it'll end up being better returns in a Swiss bank account. Well, yeah. Quite, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so, so um, actually, Chris Dillo in his cover feature, um, he's given you, uh, readers, nine nine rules that, um, that, that, that it's well worth remembering as you, you try and navigate these choppy markets. And um, we've got a great feature um, on, on cognitive biases. And, and actually, you know, these are the things... Uh, that that are most damaging to to your wealth, you know, not what the market does to you, but what you do to yourselves as investors. I mean, some of the things that we are all guilty of doing um, are, are incredibly damaging. Um, you know, the things that encourage us to sell, things that force us to overtrade, um, uh, things that, that force us to to anchor to views that, that that ultimately cost us money over the long term, linked to our human condition. Absolutely. So, so you know, I, again, I would encourage everyone to go away and read that. And just because it's, I mean, you know, this is not cod psychology. This is this is real stuff that's been observed over many, many years. Uh, it's a social science. Investing is a social science. It's difficult at the best of times. And mm. these things, just just being having this awareness of of, of, of yourself. I'm, I'm starting to sound all uh, all self help here. New age. <laughs> 
Um, but it, but it's true. Um, you know what what we've actually we we got a guy um, who's written a, a really interesting book, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong because as, as as Stephen you have pointed out to me on many occasions, my my pronunciation of anything foreign is usually awful. Frederick van Haverbeek, who is a fund manager and author, has written a book called Excess Returns, and he's he's kindly summarised that for us this week. And what he's done in this book is looked at some of the behaviours, you know, the, the world's very best investors, you know, your Buffetts and Seth Klarmans, have adopted to overcome these cognitive biases. Um, and, you know, they are aware that they are as susceptible to these as anything, as anyone else, you know, and, and, and they have developed systems which, which they use to, to overcome them. Um, and I won't give them away, but they, it's fa- absolutely fascinating. I was absolutely fascinated by this. And I think it's very, very worth any, any private investor, you know, actually, you know, stepping back and saying, all from a starting point of, I know nothing and 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 see where you get from there because remove these biases and you know you could uh, you well, could you'll always well. you'll always get a dispassionate view from the IC of course John absolutely absolutely we don't we don't bear grudges against chief executives or uh, <laughs> <laughs> our individual companies or like to trumpet our best selves or... indeed indeed in fact that, that there's a there's a very interesting quote if I can find it so John Neff John Neff who is a favoured guru by some of our readers. He recommends selling stocks from the moment you start itching to brag about them. And uh, there you go. That's good. There you go. I quite like that one. But there's many more like that this week. So uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, uh, Mark. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Graham, for your valuable contributions this week. There's plenty more in the magazine. It's, it's been quite an exciting week, despite the fact that it's only very, very early in the year. So I'd encourage you to, to obviously go and pick the magazine up. And I'll uh, see you all again next week. Thank you very much.